Welcome to the Ross Road Connect podcast. Our podcast aims to connect you to what's going on at Ross Road Community Church, to connect you to the people at Ross Road, and ultimately, to connect you to God himself. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Ross Road Connect podcast, everybody. Episode number 38, question mark. We just said this number, and I literally just forgot it right now. (laughs) Episode 38. Episode 38. We'll yeah. keep it rolling. We're yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I am your host, Holly, and I'm here with uh, our co-host, Craig Thiessen. How are you doing, Craig? I'm, I'm wonderful. I'm, 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 I'm amazed by your short-term memory is what I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my short-term memory is uh, honestly my short-term memory and my long-term memory. It's all just bad. That's like, all of your memory. I know. So to sum up, my memory <laughs> is absolutely awful. It's, it's really bad. You know, so you know how like with our, like with the staff, we have to fill out timesheets every week. Yeah. Like yeah. I need to record my hours like every single day, or I cannot <laughs> look back at the weekend. Remember, like I, I cannot remember what my days looked like if yeah. I have to look back that far. Do you know how you measure time though? Sorry, how? this is not, maybe this is completely going in a different direction, but whenever <laughs> I'm trying to think in my short-term memory about when something happened, I often think, okay, I texted that person around the same time. So look up the time of that text message and I know what I'm talking about. I definitely do that too. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great life hack right there. Yeah. That shows how digitally dependent we have become. It's so true. Oh my goodness. And if I didn't like include absolutely everything I do in my calendar, I would be so lost too. Yeah. Cause then generally I'll go look back and I can be like, Oh, that's right. Like I went out for coffee with someone that day or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, just another, when it comes to my memory, another fun thing is, uh, my family, I've gone to Europe with my family a couple of times and I went with my sisters and my mom in like 2011 in October, not October. It was like summer. Um, and it's so funny because for some reason, like that trip, I can remember like absolutely like nothing from it. Like, it's so weird. Cause I went with my family in 2009 before that. And then I went again in 2018 with my family. But for some reason, this like 2011 trip, like you can ask me about the 2009 trip. I've got it. But my memory is just wiped clean from this trip. And my sisters and my mom, they'll like make some reference to this trip and they'll talk about a memory. And I'm sitting there like, was I even on this trip? <laughs> because I can remember absolutely nothing from it. Was there a traumatic event or something that has caused you to block the memory? Uh, no, not, uh, yeah, not in that trip. Uh, maybe the 2009 one, but holy, that's a whole other podcast. But, but uh, yeah, the 2011 one, it was good. I mean, it's, I, yeah, I don't know why. I just can't uh, seem to remember anything from that. And even like, it's really hard for me to distinguish the years. Like when I think about like the years, like 2016 to 20. 19 like so much of it blends together like what happened in 2017 i couldn't tell you it's it's so weird and you're only you know 25 or 26 years old so i'm 26 i know it's not looking good think about when you're 76 years old and how good it'll be then oh i know it's it's gonna be rough like it's yeah it's or a name tag when i come see you that's yeah honestly that's a good idea (laughs) um so um right turn here you have an important event coming up in your life um, on Saturday, which will be in the past by the time everyone else hears this. And we need to hear all about it. Okay. Yeah. 
um getting a tattoo on saturday yeah and um i'm very excited i haven't gotten one in a couple of years so it's actually i'm on a journey now to cover up tacky tattoos that i got <laughs> when i was younger so oh, this is classic. just you know maybe this is also can serve as a psa just don't get tattoos when you're a teenager like honestly just wait until you're older because styles change and some of the things I have, like, it doesn't actively bother me, but I'm like, oh, these are kind of tacky. And like the fonts are, I just don't like the fonts. And I don't like the look of them. So I have a couple of tattoos that I'm working to cover up right now. So on Saturday, I'm getting on my ankle, I'm getting a big like floral piece uh, that actually Julia Martin's designed for me. Oh, fun. So yeah, uh, that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I haven't gotten a large tattoo in a long time. So uh, yeah, that's, that should be fun. I'm very excited. Now, is your 76-year-old self going to think that this was a regrettable decision or not? No, you know what? The way I think, like the way I look at tattoos too is like, you know what? When I'm like 76, okay, I'm not going to look good anyways. So like, I don't know, like my my skin is just, it's not going to be the best. So it's like, I don't know, I may as well get a tattoo. Like, and this, (laughs) you know what? I don't know. There probably are people in their late seventies that are still looking very healthy and uh, young in fact, but I just feel like your skin is going to start to wrinkle anyways. So you may as well just, you know, may as well just send it. (laughs) Oh man. And then, um, uh, the ankle, this, I don't, I've never got a tattoo. I don't intend to get a tattoo. I'm too scared to do it, but (laughs) not of the pain, but just of the potential regret of the decision yeah um the ankle seems like it would be a painful place to get a tattoo you know what i have a tattoo on my rib cage so i think if i can handle that i can handle the the ankle um when i yeah when i got the ankle done it actually didn't hurt that much it was one of the less painful spots that i have um i have one on like my kind of, I don't even, what is, I, this just shows how much I don't work out, but this is your bicep, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have one there and I'm very like ticklish in that spot. So that one was like really, really sensitive, oh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, the tattoo on my ankle didn't really hurt. So I'm not super worried, but yeah, it's also been a long time since I've gotten one. So wow. who knows? Okay. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and even, even with the tacky kind of tattoos that I have, I don't ever like actively wake up and regret getting them. Like that kind of, that never happens. I don't really have any regret. Uh, sometimes I even forget. Sometimes I forget that I have a tattoo in my rib cage and then I get changed and I'm like, oh yeah, that's there. Right. So I don't actually think about them like too much, but uh, yeah. So, you know, no regrets so far. I would just like to change some of them, but even if I went the rest of my life and I didn't change them, I don't think it would affect me that much. Okay. Well, yeah. stay tuned for episode 39 when we hear right. about the tattoo experience. Yeah. Um, I think our listeners probably want to know if Craig Thiessen was ever going to get a tattoo, what would he get? <laughs> this is why I would never get one. Cause I would not know what to get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, uh, that would be okay. So here's an example. Um, right now, as we speak, um, my house is getting painted the outside mm-hmm. of my house. So, um, th- th- I hope that the sound doesn't transfer into this episode. But, I haven't heard uh, anything so far. They're, they're scraping like outside the window, right? Like two feet mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting. Um, so the decision of what color to paint on the house was so stressful. Like I would lie <laughs> awake at night 
thinking, oh, man. is this a good combination? Is this a bad combination? And in the end, we kept the main color almost exactly the same, but we yeah. painted the trim a dark color instead of a light color. So this, this was so stressful. So can you imagine <laughs> how stressed I would be yeah. if I think about something to permanently put on my body? <laughs> like just the only thing I could think of that would, um, that would feel like this is what I would probably do would be like my the initials of my family members or like their name, mm. something like that, like Jenny and the kids. Yeah. But yeah. You can't regret that. You can't regret that. Yeah. yeah. So that, that feels pretty safe, but I, pro I probably won't do that either. So <laughs> stay tuned, everybody. You never yes. know. <laughs> stay tuned for episode number 489 yeah, exactly. when <laughs> Craig Thiessen gets a tattoo. I'll be yeah. old myself by then. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you want to know what's interesting too, as you said, it like, it's stressful to make the decision of all the tattoos that I have, which is not that many, I have like six or seven, but the, some of my favorites are the ones I thought the least about. Oh. Like I have the one that's on my bicep of the one that was a really ticklish area. I thought about that too for maybe a day. And then I got it that next day. And it's one of my favorites to this day. Wow. Uh, but that one, I didn't really have to, like, I didn't pay money for it or anything because I was dating someone who had a tattoo gun at the time. Uh -huh. So I just got a free tattoo and it's wow. one of my favorites. <laughs> and I thought very little about it. Yeah. You're more spontaneous than me. So. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting stressed well, thinking about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I hope that goes well for you. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually funny. I know kind of very little about how it's going to look like I gave the tattoo artist the design and kind of just said, even like whatever you do with it, I'm flexible. If you have a better idea of how to cover this up, like this is all you, I just, I know her work and I like it. So I'm trusting her. So I have very little idea what it's actually gonna look like, but it should be good. <laughs> so anyways, I'm trying to think of how to land the plane and how to go and to introduce our subjective conversation for today. This is yeah. always a, it's always kind of a fun game. I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. Yeah, to be honest, I don't really think there's a way. So I'm just going to, you know, we're going to land the plane with some turbulence here. And we are just going to tell you that our podcast today is with Shalane Strom. So I'm, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed our conversation with Shalane today. Um, I really wanted to have Shalane on the podcast. Um, I have really enjoyed my conversations with Shalane in the past. Uh, she's a very wise woman. And uh, Shalane works with Food for the Hungry. And I've learned a lot from Shalane over the years um, uh, from the work that she's done and from a book that she recommended to me, um, just about the way I think about poverty and the way I think about um, like even like missions trips and uh, people who are experiencing homelessness, like these kinds of things. So yeah, we're going to talk to her about kind of how do we define poverty, uh, her work with Food for the Hungry. And then we're going to talk about a book that she recommended to me. Um, and it's called Helping Without Hurting by Steve Corbett and something uh, Brian Fickert. That's what it is. And uh, short term memory. There is my short term memory. Oh my goodness. It's, it's absolutely awful. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about that book and kind of the themes that we can pull out of there and how that relates to, um, our practical lives. So yeah, without further ado, here's our conversation with Shalane. Well, Shalane, welcome to the Ross Road Connect podcast. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's great to be here. 
Yeah. Really looking forward to our conversation today. I know you and I have had kind of some conversations about this uh, in person, but I think it'll be great to kind of dig into these things uh, a little bit more. And um, Mm -hmm. we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, a book called Helping Without Hurting by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name properly. Yeah. Corbett and Fickert. Corbett and Fickert. There you go. Those, those are two last names that seem like they really are perfect to go well together. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about this book. This was actually a book that uh, Shalane recommended to me earlier. I think last year. Uh, my concept of time is just out the window. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a great read. So we're going to just talk a little bit about that in a little bit. But um, to just start things off, why don't you tell us a little bit just about, you know, yourself and your family? Sure. Well, my husband, Bill, and I uh, live in Abbotsford, and we raised our now adult sons at Ross Road Church. Our family has grown over the years to include these wonderful women and two very precious little grandsons. Um, I get called a lot of different things in life, but I have to say grandma is a pretty special title. Mm. And if you wanted to talk just about grandma life, I could do that too, because that's uh, that's one that's close to my heart. Oh, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. What's the best part of being a grandma, if you can choose something? Oh, well, I get to spend every Friday with our little four-year-old grandson. Aww. And so we just have so much fun. It's just such a joy-filled day and lots of adventures. And, you know, he just says cute things. So yeah, it's just, it's just a good time. Lots of laughs. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. Tell us a bit about your journey of faith, Shalene. (laughs) Well, how long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know that could be a, a long conversation for all of us, I think. Yeah, exactly. I made a choice to be a Jesus follower when I was 18 And that one decision has radically influenced my entire life. It's shaped my entire adult life, the choices that I've made. I have been actively involved in church life, and I have been sidelined by health issues and lots of things in between. I would say that the big picture story in that is that God has not changed His love for me has not changed, and I have known his faithfulness in even some pretty difficult and brutal times. And I I believe that through those challenging seasons, I've come to really have a deeper appreciation for my own sense of value. And that I remember, I was actually just sharing this with somebody else today, one of the key things that came out of uh, a sidelined time was that if I never could do another thing, that my value hadn't changed. Mm. My worth was still the same because I am created in, in Christ's image and therefore I have that inherent value and worth. Um, Yeah, and that actually very much connects to the work that I do, which we can talk a little bit more as we go. Mm. Wow, that was so eloquently put. That was, yeah, that was great. Thank you, Shalane. So yeah, you uh, just even brought it up right there. So talk to us a little bit about your work with Food for the Hungry. I have the privilege of being the National Education Lead 
with Food for the Hungry Canada, which means it's such a privilege that I get to connect with Canadians and help them understand more about poverty with a particular focus on the root issues of poverty. And then from that, looking at what are some holistic, healthy ways that we can actually address these incredibly complex issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you, uh, can you give us a, um, uh, I know food for the hungry does a lot of different things, but give us a bit of an overview of the, the mission and the things that food for the hungry is involved with around the world. Sure. Our, our work is called development work. And we'll talk a little bit more, I think a bit later about what that term actually means. We are focused on coming alongside communities that are stuck in extreme material poverty. We have a focus on walking with, not doing for. And so our people, about 97 to 98% of our staff are people from the communities that we're working in. So if it's Cambodia, it's Cambodians living and working with these communities. And we take a very holistic approach to the work we do, which means we're looking at everything that's part of people's lives. So it's education, it's also health issues, it's livelihood issues. We look at um, live, uh, living and working with the church and with the government officials. And so it's it's really taking a, um, a very involved, proactive coming alongside with the recognition that because people are created in God's image, they have the capacity to solve their own problems. They just don't necessarily know that they do. Mm-hmm. And so we are coaches, we're cheerleaders, we're educators. Um, we are, we're trying to help people be their own champions and, and make a better way for themselves. So it's a, a really important work. And I think, when you come back to part of my journey of faith, a big part of my own faith story has been understanding um, boundaries, healthy boundaries. And you know, this is something that I'm a a big fan of. Um, And that's really what this work is about. It's about the right people taking responsibility for the right things and helping people take up ownership of their lives. And so what I've done for years on an individual scale with hundreds of women and helping them understand healthy boundaries, this is really on a macro level, helping communities understand who they are and what their abilities and their capacities are. Yeah. Mm. So there's a lot there that we could get into and Uh uh, we're going to, we're going to pick at at different parts of it. Um, But I want, before I ask you to, to define poverty for us or to help us think about a definition of poverty, um, give us a plug for your podcast, because some of the questions we're going to ask you here are entire episodes of your own podcast. So uh, do some promotion here. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. I have the privilege of co-hosting a podcast called Ending Poverty Together, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Spotify, and then also on the FH Canada website. And our episodes include opportunities to have conversations with people who are living and breathing this work all the time. And 
I'm telling you to be a frontline learner and be able to sit with these individuals and hear their stories and hear the work that they're doing. It's an incredible privilege. I'm, I'm just so grateful. So don't come and listen to the podcast because I'm on there. Come and listen to the guests because I really, I'm just there with the audience learning. And um, yeah, Eric and I, we have, we have a great time. We're also just feeling pretty honored to be able to sit with these people and learn together. Yeah. Excellent. So when we hear the word poverty, uh, all of us have some things that come to mind. Um, some of them probably are, are, um, are accurate or, or, or true. Some of them maybe are assumptions we're making and some of them, some of the things we're thinking about maybe are false. So how do you think we should define poverty? Well, let me start by telling you a story. So one Sunday morning, my husband, Bill, went downstairs into his shop. And as he went to walk across to the deep freeze, he noticed that there was this puddle of water on the floor. And the puddle of water was not associated with anything that he could point to right away that was there was nothing leaking right there. There was no glass that had obviously spilled or something. And so he did the next most natural thing, and that was to look up. And sure enough, out of the ceiling was this slow drip. And it was coming down through the ceiling tile and creating this puddle on the floor. So what would be the logical thing for him to do? Some people might say it would be grab a roll of duct tape and cover up the hole and stop the water from dripping and causing a puddle on the floor. So you might think, okay, now he's got the tape on the ceiling. Now the puddle is all wiped up. Everything's fine because I can no longer see the evidence of the problem. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, what happens next? What happens over the next couple hours, maybe days, as the water, because what was really going on, as you probably figured out, is there was a tap underneath the bathroom sink upstairs that had sprung a leak. And that's where the water was coming from. So because there's duct tape on the one hole, now there's potential for the water to spread into different areas above the ceiling tile. And to potentially, in a workplace that I was in once, actually, this something like this happened. And we were standing around the desk and all of a sudden the entire ceiling collapsed all over the desk and the fax machine oh. and everything. And it was just this gush of water and ceiling tile and debris. So what does that have to do with poverty? It's exactly what we often do when we think of poverty. We look at symptoms and we try to put Band-Aid solutions to the symptoms. And what we fail to do is get to the root cause of what's really going on. And it wasn't until that pipe was replaced that the rest of the other pieces could be really properly fixed or could be really properly addressed. So when we're talking about poverty, if we're just stuck on addressing symptoms and we don't ever get to root causes, then we're probably potentially even per perpetuating the issue or making it worse. 
So food for the hungry, and we're not alone in this. There's lots of different organizations who believe that when we look at the root causes of poverty, where we need to start is in Genesis, actually. And we need to look at the relationships that God placed us in. And so when God created Adam and Eve, he created people to be in four key relationships with him. He wanted people to be in relationship with himself. We know that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God on a daily basis, and they recognized his voice because they had relationship together. God also wants relationship with others. He designed us to be in relationship with others. He created that social relationship between Adam and Eve. And we saw from the beginning that that plan was for good and harmonious and just relationships with other people. He created us as humans to have a relationship with creation. So that physical relationship where God positioned Adam and Eve to be caretakers of the earth and establish that relationship between humanity and his physical world. And then the fourth one is the relationship with ourselves. And we're clear from Genesis that humans were created in God's image. And as image bearers of God, we are all created with that inherent dignity and worth that I mentioned earlier. So because we have the image of our creator, that allows us to live in and have a, a healthy self-image and sense of purpose. So I know you guys know the rest of the story. It's not news to you that those relationships were broken, sin entered in, and that's the point where poverty began. So if we want to look at the root cause of poverty, that's really where we have to start, is recognizing it as broken relationships. So what can we conclude from that? Well, um, that we're all impoverished, that we are all part of humanity that has these broken relationships that are in need of reconciliation and healing through Jesus. The thing that gets people a little bit stumped at times is, okay, so now you're telling me that we're all impoverished, the ground is level, but I look around and I think the ground is not level. There are people who we would say are living in very impoverished kind of situations. And what I would answer to that is we are all equally impoverished. We are just not all equally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was kind of like the mind-blowing distinction because I recognized that I have, uh, I have as much need of that reconciliation and, and a savior. I just don't have as many um, vulnerabilities as some people do. I have lots of my own vulnerabilities, but they're just maybe not as obvious or as potentially life-threatening as some people. Hmm. Wow, that's, it's such a good way to put it. And I remember when Shalane, you first came to our youth group even, and you talked about you and Eric both did. And you talked to us about the whole, like the four different relationships being broken and how poverty is not just what it means to like live on the street. It like, honestly, that it really reshaped my thinking. And Mm -hmm. I really like what you're saying. Like we're all equally 
impoverished, but we're not equally vulnerable. And I think, yeah, there's so much, so much good to take out of that. Um, so I think that will bring us kind of to this next part of this um, kind of podcast here is talking a little bit about um, this book, Helping Without Hurting. And this book was fascinating to me in so many ways. And something that they talked about in this book was what we call a God complex. And so my understanding of a God complex is when we want to try to help people who are more vulnerable than us. Uh, but I, even what you mentioned before too, you talked about um, helping with people instead of helping, you know, helping for people. Hmm. Um, so what is it about when we try to help people, how can we sometimes develop a God complex when we're trying to help others? And like, why can that be harmful? <laughs> I, you gave me these questions ahead of time. So I had a chance to think about this. And the first thing that came to mind was, well, as a mom, I, I always know what's best for my kids, right? Even my adult kids. And, and I'm not sure why they don't just do everything that I think they should do all the time. That's it right there. That's, that's really what it comes down to is I often look at somebody else and I think I have the answers for their lives. And really what I'm doing then is I'm thinking that I'm God. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of us don't really enjoy admitting that. We're not really fond of that. But I think when we develop a God complex, we lose sight of the fact that God has given people the capacity to figure their own things out. And they don't need me to tell them what to do. They need me to walk with them and encourage them in figuring out what they need to do. And so when I come in as if I am the savior because I want to feel good about what I'm doing or how I'm helping, or I come in with answers for your problems, potentially what I'm doing is I'm interrupting or interfering with what God wants to do in and through that individual in their lives. And so I just think we need to be really careful um, to, to examine our motives and to try as much as we can to stay away from that belief that we know better for somebody else's life than what they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be so easy for us to think that we know what's best for everyone, when in reality, that's just, it's so untrue. Yeah, it, um, I, I like how you say sometimes we're, do, we're doing this helping work out of uh, a need to feel useful ourselves, which mm-hmm. really isn't a very altruistic attitude. It's actually a selfish attitude to carry with us. What, what about the opposite, Shalane? Um, what what would you say to people who look at people in poverty and say, well, that's the result of their own decisions. That's on them. It's not on me. And I have no responsibility for them whatsoever. Mm. Well, my question to you would be, do you know their story? Mm-hmm. Have you actually gotten to know them? Do you know what their root things are? How they came to be in this place? Do you, have you asked about um, potential generational things going on? Are you aware of systemic pieces that could be part of it, like racism, power abuse? Mm -hmm. So my my answer to that would be, um, I think that that's something you probably need to sort out with God about 
what is my responsibility to my brothers and sisters? And, and I think what's really important in this, even in the language we use, is what is my responsibility to you? not my responsibility for you. Mm. Because again, that's that's that boundary language, right? I have a responsibility to love you. I have a responsibility to serve others because that's the model that Jesus gave. And that's how he wants me to live as a Christ follower. But it is not my responsibility for the decisions that you make. Mm. And I think a lot of times when people say, you know, you made your bed, you sleep in it kind of thing there there's often fear behind that mm. that man if i get involved i am going to get sucked into this and they're going to bleed me dry whether it's emotionally or financially or whatever and so there's a hesitation to even step into it and then the other pieces i mean there's many pieces but another one that comes to mind is um sometimes i'm just selfish i don't want to invest the time i i really you know, I think it's a, a defense mechanism to say all of those things that you said, Craig, and it, it frees me then to just go on living my my own little life um, rather than getting involved. Poverty alleviation work is messy. It's incredibly messy. Um, and sometimes I just don't want to do it. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think that even brings up kind of an interesting segue into the next kind of question that I have here too, is I always used to look at poverty as like, oh, it's somebody experiencing homelessness. Like that was totally my kind of perception of what that was until uh, you brought up the four different relationships thing. So because like, so I guess um, looking at uh, poverty as like, oh, someone living on the street, that's poverty. And I guess we would call that a material definition of poverty, like saying like, oh, they don't have many materials they're you know they're more vulnerable so how do you think a material definition of poverty can actually be harmful i think one of the biggest things is that it positions us in camps of haves and have nots and if i have then by virtue of the culture and the society that we live in that can create a sense of superiority it can create that god complex that you referred to earlier it creates power imbalances. And if we look at it from the position of relationship, then when I recognize that I have this, this broken relationship problem in my life, the ground is more equal and I am much more inclined to come alongside somebody and say, what can I learn from you? When we talk about it only from a material perspective, it's what do you want from me? And what can I give you? How can I fix this problem? So I think there's the material definition of poverty becomes harmful because it, it feeds into pride. It feeds into power imbalances and the relational definition of poverty just screams for humility to say, wow, I have so much to learn from everybody I encounter. Hmm. That's so important. And I think like, I, I love that last piece. Like there's something you can learn from everybody. And so that's something that I've been even trying to do is to just shift my language from saying like, oh, well, that is a, like, that's a homeless person. And just say like, oh, well, somebody experiencing homelessness because somebody who might be experiencing that is so much more than just their 
current situation. And there's so much that we can still learn from them regardless of their circumstances. Yeah. Well, and, you know, sometimes I think it's so it's, we are so quick to say something like you just did there, Holly, I appreciate you commenting on that. Um, There's a homeless person. Mm -hmm. If somebody was to say to me, oh, there goes Shalane, she's, she's a housed person. Like, why, why would we ever say that? Mm -hmm. It it just sounds ridiculous, right? That's not that that doesn't embody who I am, that I live in a house. Mm-hmm. And yet we're very quick to put those kinds of labels on people. And then it essentializes them to that particular thing, as opposed to seeing them as this whole person that each of us are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think we'll, we'll come back to this kind of before we end the podcast and just ask about uh, really practical ways that we would be able to help somebody who's experiencing homelessness. But um, just one more thing from kind of thinking about this book, um, the authors, they did a really good job of talking about the importance of examining, like before you go on a service trip, uh, like determining whether or not the place that you're going, like, do they need rehab? Do they need relief or do they need development? And kind of learning about those three different needs was really, really interesting to me. Um, so I would love to hear your perspective on how do you think like a service trip could be more effective if there was a more thorough assessment of if it needed either relief, rehab or development. Oh, Holly, you're just speaking my language here. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I think we need to do is define relief, rehabilitation and development so that people are clear on what we're really talking about. And I think it might be helpful to use a physical example from my own life. So you guys know, about almost seven years ago now, I had total joint replacement surgery on my jaw. And when I woke up from that surgery, my body was pumped full of incredibly heavy duty painkillers that were administered to me by somebody else who made that decision for me, because they knew I had had skin cut, bones cut out, muscles cut, new prosthetic joints screwed into my skull. And they knew that I was potentially going to be in excruciating pain. So because of my heavily medicated state, I wasn't allowed to do anything on my own because people who were in the position of knowing had made this assessment and they had provided me with something that I desperately needed in order to survive the crisis. That's Mm -hmm. relief. Within a day though, something started to change. They cut my medication dramatically and staff began asking me to evaluate my pain. And they started explaining what signs to look for and when it would be a good idea to press that uh, beautiful add painkillers to the IV button. (laughs) And so they were teaching me how to monitor my own pain and how to begin to manage my recovery. That's what we call rehabilitation. So by the time I left the hospital, I was only taking Advil, which was there to help reduce the swelling. I didn't have any painkillers at all. I knew what signs to look for. I knew how to differentiate between constructive pain and and dangerous pain. Mm -hmm. And I could do on my own what I needed to do in order to manage that. I only needed to check in with my surgeon once a week initially. Then it became once a month. 
then it became once a year. And now it's only if a problem comes up. That's development. So imagine though, if there hadn't been that progression. Imagine if seven years later, someone else was still giving me that high dose of post-operative medication. Imagine if somebody else was making that decision for my life. And I know the example, it sounds a bit absurd. Why would every, anybody ever do that to somebody? We'd be creating dependency, right? There'd be a huge dependency there. And I just think, look at where I am today and what would have been lost if I hadn't been moved from that place of needing relief through the process of rehabilitation to the development that says, now you can do this on your own. Now you can live. And I'm here for you if you need me, but I'm here on the sidelines as a coach. We keep people in relief all the time. Mm. We keep them in a place of dependence because rehabilitation and development work take more time. And actually, they cost us more and it's not necessarily financially, but they cost us more relationally and emotionally and in terms of our investment of time. But what development work does is it lets people be the champions of their own story. It treats people with the dignity and respect that they deserve. And it says you are created in the image of God and you have the creativity and the problem-solving abilities that you need. You just maybe don't know it yet. So let me walk alongside you. Let me teach you about your value and your worth and support you as you decide what you would like your life to look like. So like a cheerleader. And that's really what the work of Food for the Hungry is, as you asked earlier, Craig. And that's really the theme of the When Helping Hurts book. Mm-hmm. Can you? I'd, I'd be. I know this could take another hour. Uh, just this question alone, Shalane. But can you give a, a brief example of a community somewhere in the world that has gone <laughs> through this process and what that was like? Oh yeah, um, yes. We have uh, many communities actually that have graduated, and it's interesting. You know, you talk about. Um, you're asking about the podcast that I get to co-host. We actually just had a guest. The episode hasn't been released yet. And he was talking about why at FH we choose the term graduation. And we talk about a community graduating as opposed to a community, um, the FH staff leaving a community. And it's because graduation is about what the community has done. They have reached the milestones. They have achieved the, the goals that they wanted to achieve. If you talk about FH is now leaving, then it, it makes the focus be on us. And it's not a, that's not the whole point. So graduation is really the goal that we are working toward as communities are um, moving from being stuck in extreme poverty to thriving. And I can think of communities in Cambodia, I can speak to that because those are the the ones that I have visited personally. Um, What's amazing about the opportunity to visit our field work is we get to see people at and communities at different stages. So 
when you first go in and you see and you meet people, they they are skeptical and they're hesitant and they're they're distant and they're scared and they don't know what's happening. And then you go to visit another community that's maybe two years in and you start to see some sense of team and the village development community committee has started to, to envision things together. And then you see a community that's four years in and you see, see some of the um, savings and loans groups being implemented. And, and by the time we were visiting communities that were about to graduate or who had graduated, the, the sense of we did this, we made this happen. Our children have a different future mm -hmm. than we have. And what's beautiful about it is it's the appropriate, um, it's the appropriate situation within their context. We're not creating little Canada's in Cambodia. We're helping people create thriving Cambodian communities or thriving communities in Guatemala or Ethiopia or wherever else it is. So, um, I'll take you on a trip sometime, Craig and Holly, if you want to come and see. Yes. That would be very fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine this, and I don't think you used the word confidence, but I imagine the mm. sense of confidence between beginning and end would be night yes. and day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Because now people know they can. They can yeah. do these things. They can see a difference. And a lot of times what poverty does is it robs people of their their sense of choice or their sense of empowerment and the work that food for the hungry does um, is really about helping people know what they can do and that they are empowered and that they are like you said confident to do these things yeah wow that's cool um, let's bring it uh, closer to home here and uh, talk again a, a little bit about uh, interacting with people who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, we've all been in the situation where we're driving along the road and we see someone with a sign asking for money and we've all had that internal wrestling of what do we do and how do we respond? So uh, what do you think is a, a practical way to help someone experiencing homelessness and is giving money wise? Yeah, great question. Probably the single most asked question I, I encounter bet. for sure. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it's important because these are these are the real day-to-day -day kinds of ways that we encounter symptoms of poverty or expressions of poverty. I think one of the things that is most important to recognize is that this is not a homeless person. This is a person who may be experiencing a housing or home you know, crisis at this point. Mm -hmm. um, we make a ton of assumptions based on the looks and the position of people. There are lots of people, I've heard of numerous stories where people have gone up to somebody and offered them money and the person has said, well, what do you think? I'm, I don't, I'm not homeless. I've got a perfectly great home. Um, so what those things should tell us is we need to get to know these people and we need to interact with these people. And at the very least, if you're walking by somebody, make eye contact, mm. smile and say hello. Throwing a coin into somebody's hat, while it appears that that's what 
that person wants in that moment, really truly, what most people want in that moment is some sort of human connection. They want to feel visible. They want to feel like they matter. So I don't give money to people. Um, I try at minimum to do the eye contact and smile at times. If it, it's a safe environment, I will offer to buy someone a meal, um, go into a, a restaurant, let them choose. Because again, choice is often something that people feel robbed of when they're living in, in material poverty. But I think I did ask Bill if I had permission to share this story. And he smiled and said, yes, but what's the application going to be? I need to know first. <laughs> <laughs> so one day he was going into a superstore, I believe it was. And there was this gentleman sitting outside the door um, by the stairs. And he had a sign, any little bit helps or something like that. And so Bill went into the store and he just said, I, I felt in my spirit that I wanted to do something for this guy. And he and I have had lots of conversations about this. So he went to the bulk food section and he filled a bag with the, what he thought looked like the healthiest version of uh, like a trail mix. So it had lots of protein and some dried fruit and all kinds of things. And and he said, you know, I was feeling good about this. I'm going to go back out. I'm going to give it to him. So he stops. He introduces himself. And he said, you know, I just really wanted to, to share this with you. And, uh, and the guy says, well, thanks, but you can take it home. And he gives Bill this huge smile. There's not a tooth in his mouth. Mm -hmm. And he said, I couldn't eat that if I tried. <laughs> and it's it's this really powerful picture of we need to get to know these people and you know as bill and i talked about it he said if i had just had one conversation with him before i'd gone into the store and i had said i would really like to purchase you some food what would you like that could have made all the difference right so are there principles i think yeah, there's it's the it's the opportunity to make relationship with people. If this is somebody that you encounter on a regular basis, strike up strike up a conversation, find out what their story is. And mm -hmm. if this really is truly other-centered, do you know their name? Do you know anything about them? Ask yourself questions like what's my motivation for wanting to give? Mm -hmm. Is it out of compassion? Or does it actually reduce my guilt? Because when I walk by, I feel like, oh man, I have so much. They don't have anything. So those, to me, those are the things that are going to make more lasting change is when we are willing to invite God into the process that he's taking us on and then also be thinking about how can I build relationship? Um, and then I would say, just be aware of what, what things are available in our community. I remember talking to a woman who works with Union Gospel Mission in downtown Vancouver, and she said, you would actually have to be very intentional and work really hard at going hungry in the downtown east side, because there are so many places that you can go and get free meals. Mm -hmm. So what do we have around the area, you know, your area, what, what's available, and then make make that uh, known to people if they don't already know. Hmm. Well, there's 
so, so much good in there. So much to like, we can unpack that so much further too. Um, but I really, I really appreciate what you said about like, just even the, or the impact that asking somebody their name can make, I think mm-hmm. is incredible. I remember I had a conversation with somebody who was experiencing homelessness at that time. And I just remember when I asked them their name, like just the light that you could see in their eyes, it was so impactful. And I'm like, that just seems like such a small small thing. Mm-hmm. But I think like also just remembering that everybody deserves the same amount of dignity is so important too. Like, I feel like I used to be so different in the way I thought. And like, if I had kind of like a leftover meal, that maybe it's like, there's a half a sandwich that I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to eat this. Maybe I'll throw it out. And then I would be like walking on the street and be like, Oh, well, maybe I could give this to them. But it's like, nobody wants to eat like my half eaten sandwich. Like everybody deserves that same level of dignity that like they should deserve something new just because they don't have anything or we don't know what they have, but they don't want to eat your leftovers. Like it's just, yeah. It's something I'm thinking about more recently. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah, man, honestly, I, yeah, I love it. So practical. Um, so I would love to even just transition, um, into this last little bit of this podcast and kind of ask what you've appreciated about Ross road over the years. But before we do that, are there any other kind of last comments that you would like to share kind of, uh, from food for the hungry or anything around this topic before we kind of transition to the end here? Well, I realized that I didn't actually fully answer one of your other questions when you, mm. you were talking about, um, you asked me something about short-term trips Mm. and uh, how that related to relief development or rehabilitation and development. And I didn't really specifically talk about short-term trips, which clearly is another whole podcast worth uh, that we could talk about. But I think if we always have this posture of what does it feel like for the other person? And Mm. so I was um, thinking about what would it be like for you guys as pastors if you got an email from a church from somebody in the Philippines or Guatemala or Cambodia, and they told you that they've been praying for Ross Road and they feel that God is calling them to serve Ross Road's youth. And so they've put together like a VBS program and that they're going to travel to BC and they're going to bring 12 of their senior youth and they're going to host a VBS from July 6th to the 13th. Um, They'll require housing and meals, transportation to and from the airport, translators since they don't speak English. And it would be great if they could do a little sightseeing while they're here. And could you just make those arrangements for them while they're they're gonna be doing that? They're gonna arrive, they're gonna be flight weary, they're gonna be hungry. You provide them with this meal that the church has put together. They pick at it, they whisper to each other and they ask, what is this in their own language? And then maybe, Craig, you think it would be a great idea to have them to get to know them better. So you invite them over to your home and you set up some home visits in church family homes and they arrive, they take out their phones, they take pictures of your front door, of your children, of your neighbors, of your neighbor's dog, your neighbor's car, your bathroom, your kitchen, the food you serve them. And then somebody asks you, how come you live in such a big house with only four people? even as I was considering this, making up this story this afternoon, I was so uncomfortable. Mm. And I just think, does like, is there any familiarity in that? Mm. It would seem absolutely absurd to us. And as, as North Americans, as privileged 
North Americans, we would probably just say, well, no, we've got our own summer plans. Like, thanks, but we're good, right? Because that would be a ton of work to actually make that happen. Mm -hmm. And yet those are some of the kinds of expectations that we have placed on the majority world over and over and over again. Um, so I think when we're thinking about our short-term missions, what's really important is to ask, why are we doing this? Who is this for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could talk a lot, yeah. of, a lot more about that, but. No, it's so important. And I remember you gave me, we had coffee a while ago, you know, we could still do that. Right. And you gave me an example, kind of very similar to that. And it kind of like reshaped my whole thinking around like trips like that. And I, I do think, yeah, there totally is benefit, but even it's crazy because I think about even when I've gone on missions trips, like when I came back, like everything that I kind of gained, it was all about my own personal, like relationship with Jesus, which is great. And I think it is awesome that people go and they can kind of find themselves and they can um, grow in their relationships with God. But when it's happening at the expense of a town mm -hmm. that you're going into, I think that's when it can be like painful to communities. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, as long as there's a balance between like, yeah, what does this community actually need and what would be helpful for them? And then I can come into that and have kind of my own spiritual experience too. I think there's kind of that balance in there that needs to be found. And to have them define what they need. Yeah. Um, one of the things at Food for the Hungry, we have two different kinds of trips. We have vision trips where we take people simply to see the work that we do so they can have a better understanding. And then we have partner trips. And that's where a church or a business partner has um, decided that they want to walk specifically with a community. And they, the trips that they then take are to that same community over and over again through the 10-year process. And it's solely for the purpose of building relationship. So that that mutual change, that mutual transformation can happen. And the only time our Canadians are involved in doing like building a school or, or some kind of a project like that is when the community says, this is something that we want to do. We've decided. And you know what? We actually happen to know that some of our brothers and sisters in Canada who come and, and hang out with us, they're actually really good at that. So they invite us. And to me, that's just such a beautiful picture of what this ought to look like. And it kind of circles all the way back around again, Holly, to your question about God complex. Mm. And, and I think it's really about humility too. Am I willing to recognize that maybe I actually have more need than I have to offer in a lot of these situations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think uh, saying that, Shalene, do you think that uh, the future of short term missions um, will change a lot or will decrease uh, compared to the past? I hope so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I hope so. And, and it is already there is change happening. Yeah. It's very fascinating to me. Um, I do not for a minute claim to understand God's ways. They are mysterious and higher than mine, for sure. What is interesting about COVID from this perspective is that it has given a lot of people a hard stop on a lot of things. And so what we're finding is that a lot of churches and a lot of organizations are saying, wait a minute, 
maybe we need to reevaluate this. And what does this look like? And there's been time and space to do that. And I just think that's fantastic. And there's lots of great resources. I would just say too, um, if you guys are not familiar with the Chalmers Institute and the resources from there, there are fantastic resources. That's Chalmers Institute is actually was begun by Brian Fickert, who's one of the authors of the, the book that you were talking about today. And they have come out with incredible resources on um, one of my favorites is actually how to uh, help without hurting in short-term missions. So yeah, there's lots of great things there. Cool. Absolutely. Wow. So yeah, to kind of just uh, wrap up here, Shalane, what have you appreciated about Ross Road over the years? And how many years has it been? Hmm. Yeah. Did I tell you at the beginning that my husband and I found Ross Road through the Yellow Pages? Did I mention that? You didn't, but I've heard you tell me that before. Yeah. Yeah. So that was 33 years ago. I have to stop and think about that. How many years have we been married? Um, So yeah, it's coming up on 33 years. Right after we got married, we flipped through the yellow pages to find an MB church because we had been enjoying being at Wellington while we were dating. And then we moved out to Abbotsford and thought we wanted to find a church out this way. Um, One of the things, the first thing that comes to mind is that we've just found relationships at Ross Road. There is a sense of um, consistency. And we love, we love the teaching. Um, Craig, so appreciate your leadership and your preaching and teaching. Um, I think one of the things that is really important to us is that there's growth and that there's change and that a church, an organization, a family, whatever, a life isn't stagnant. And there have been some challenging times that we've seen the church go through. And yet, I think there's just been this sort of pervasive sense of, we can do this. With God's help, we can do this. And so, yeah, there's been lots of hard conversations, but there's been change and there's been growth. And and that's that's exciting to me. And it's exciting to me that we're in this season where we're just seeing... Um, leadership be open to thinking in new ways and um yeah being culturally aware so thanks for that guys yeah so look look ahead then to the next 33 years or the next uh it's our 75th birthday next year Mm. so the next 75 years uh what's your prayer for our church my prayer is that we would listen carefully to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. that we would lean hard into what God is calling us to, and that we would be brave and bold and courageous as we as we as we find our place in culture, that we wouldn't have our, our heads in the sand, but that we would be that church that people say, oh yeah, you can go there. Mm-hmm. They will love you well. They will accept you. They will take you in with all of your mess and all of your brokenness, and they will be with you in that. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, my last question is, is this. Uh, you are an author. You've written two books. Um, <laughs> plug your books. How can people find them? 
<laughs> you know, Craig. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I have I have um, no plans or hopes to um, retire on royalties of my my book writing. <laughs> I believe that my book writing was God's calling on my life to help me process and heal. And if other people can find them useful and helpful, then that's the bonus. Um, one of them is called Changing Course. And that was one that I wrote while I was off work and um, waiting for surgery and recovering from surgery. And that one is designed to help people who are in career and life transitions. And that's actually both of them are available at House of James. So if you're local, I would say support local and buy them there if you can. The second one is called But Pain Crept In. And that is really a memoir of the, the journey that God took me on and was with me in around the whole jaw experience, um, the waiting, the learning to be patient, and really coming to more deeply understand who God is and who I am. That one is also available on House of James, at House of James, and they are also available online on that, you know, a company, but <laughs> let's go with House of James. Yeah, yeah we love that. I believe I believe at least the one of them's in the church library yes. as well. I'm I'm not sure if they're both there, yeah. but one of them. For yeah, sure the pain, is. but pain crept in is for sure there. I can I can make sure the other one yeah. gets there too. If it isn't, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Well, I've uh, I haven't read the Changing Course book, but the but pain crept in is beautifully written and uh, a neat insight into your journey. Um, I don't know if neat is the right word, but an, an, an insightful um, reflection on your journey. Oh, I appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. That's kind of you. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much, Shalane, for being on the podcast today and just opening up your heart um, just on all of these things that we've talked about. You are an incredibly wise woman, and, mm -hmm. and it's been amazing to just learn from you and just chat with you here. Uh, before we conclude this podcast, uh, Craig and I do actually have a game that we would love to play with you uh, if you have the time for it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, now I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, well, this game is called Do You Know Me? And it is just a fun way for our listeners to get to know you. And the way this game works is we will ask a question like about you. And uh -huh. before you answer it, Craig and I will give our guesses and then after that, you'll give your answer. So it okay. will be yeah, fun to hear the contrast in the guesses here. Okay. And I have to tell the truth, whether you get it. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll never know. So yeah, we'll okay. never know. <laughs> awesome. I know. Yeah. So the first question is, is Shalane a morning person or a night owl? So Craig and I will put our guesses forward first. And I'm going to say that you are a morning person because I just feel like you are a very intelligent, successful person. And generally when <laughs> generally those people are morning people. So <laughs> that is my guess. <laughs> you could get yourself into a lot of trouble with that, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. All your night hours listen to owls are listening going, what? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's okay because I'm also a night owl. So I, you know, I think I'm also smart, but I just, I don't know. There's something about morning people. They've just got their lives together, you know? <laughs> yes direct all uh yes. angry emails or yeah. calls to 604 holly uh, right holly at ross road yeah, <laughs> yeah holly.com yeah there you go um, but i also would say morning person okay so truth be told i spent approximately half of my life as a night owl Ooh. and then 
I became a morning person? So the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is also that there is hope for me that I could become a morning person. <laughs> Were you more productive in one phase as opposed to the other? Oh, definitely. And you can define productivity however you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I think I would say I'm healthier as a morning person because, okay. yeah, for lots of different reasons. I think there's just a different rhythm to my day. Um, but Holly, you have to know that there's some other external factors that have played into that too, which we can talk about over coffee sometime, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily my choice to become a morning person. Mm -hmm. I had to start taking a medication at seven o'clock in the morning, every morning. And so right. that's when the switch flipped. Had that not happened, I cannot honestly say that I would be a morning person today. So interesting. Yeah. Long answer to your, your yeah. Question. But you know what? That's what this game's about. I okay. love it. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> awesome. Craig, what's the next okay, one? Yeah. Next one is, um, uh, what is something on Shalane's bucket list? Ooh. Hmm. That's like so I want to, I want to, I almost want to be stereotypical and say like travel to a certain place, but I feel like Shalane's done a lot that of traveling. That is true. So I don't know that that's it, but I'm going to say, and and I've, I don't know this at all, but I think because Shalane has overcome such a physical challenge in her life, I think there's like um, some sort of physical goal, like uh, running a certain Ooh. distance or um, doing some sort of a race or something like that. That's what I'm going to say. Ooh, interesting. That's a, that's a good guess. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, you've already, you've done so much. I mean, you've written books. I mean, what else? Like... <laughs> <laughs> so you know what i'm you know what for a classic uh bucket list answer i'm gonna say maybe skydiving that's something that i feel like maybe you would be the type of person who would do that or maybe you've already mm -hmm. done that i have not done that my goal is to do that when i'm 95 so it won't matter what the outcome is <laughs> i'll be ready great. to go that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the whole physical thing, run a race. No, I, I run oh. from bad guys and bears. I don't run anything else. That's <laughs> not, not going to happen. Um, you should have gone with your gut, Craig. Oh, really? You were much closer with your first <laughs> response because my bucket list is to visit the communities in every country that food for the hungry works with. Nice. So, oh, that's so cool. eight, eight different countries. And I have, I've been to one, I've been to Cambodia three times, but I've still got lots to go. Wow. That would be yeah. so cool. Nice. Yeah. So that. see, trust your gut. Yeah, yeah. I should have. I should have. I yeah. overthought that one. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next one is what is Shalane's go-to ice cream flavor? And my gut is telling me I don't know why. My gut is telling me like strawberry ice cream. It's hard not to answer this based on what my own, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? How could somebody like a different flavor of ice cream than I like, right? So, uh, well, maybe that, maybe it is. For <laughs> that reason, easy. I'm not going to overthink it. Okay. I'm just going to say chocolate chip cookie dough. Ooh. Wow. Mm. That's your favorite, Craig? Oh, cookie dough ice cream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, stuff. wow. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah. Craig always has opinions that are unpopular. <laughs> Craig's I tend to hold my opinions strongly is what I'm learning yeah. about myself. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Have an opinion and stick with it, That's right? It. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. No, sorry guys. I'm a I'm a salted caramel. Oh, that's you know, salted caramel, throwing a little chocolate maybe, but uh, yeah, that's that would be my go-to. That's that sounds really delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and last but not least, uh, okay. Shalene's favorite genre of music. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to say, like, I don't want to say, not like classical, but like, yeah, that's a tough one. Not Craig, you go first because <laughs> you have an opinion you, about this. You yeah, wrote exactly. the question, Holly. I know <laughs> you wrote the question, Holly. I did. Yourself. I um, always ask this question because I or I usually ask like what decade of music people like too. But I'm very like I'm very fascinated by this question for everybody, and I love talking about music, so I always want to know the answer. I think when Shalane is driving and she's not listening to the Ross Road Connect podcast. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Of um, course, oh, <laughs> which is rare, which is yeah. rare. Yes, of course. <laughs> that I yeah. would not be doing that. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think contemporary Christian music is what Shalane's listening to. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to say. Yeah, I think that's that's a good guess. Contemporary Christian, or even like I don't know, not like indie pop or like indie rock music, but kind of just like maybe some indie music. You guys are both right. Yes. Actually, okay. yeah, yeah. I would say you are both right. Nice. But what's interesting about that is I only listen to music in the car. Mm. Oh, okay. I rarely have music on in in the house when I'm home, unless it's Friday and I have Grayson here and we're doing ants go marching 10 by 10. <laughs> then that's a whole other, that's actually my favorite genre right now is yeah. kids music. <laughs> uh, oh, we should have guessed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm pretty proud. We kind of got the right answer. So you kind of did. Yeah. 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 I'm impressed. Awesome. Thanks guys. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for playing and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lee. My pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have to do this again sometime. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. And thank you so much to our listeners. And we will be um, with you with another podcast on the next couple of weeks or so. So wherever you're at, hope you have a great, uh, great rest of your day. Ross Road Connect podcast is produced by Ross Road Community Church in Abbotsford, BC. For more information about our church community and links to more podcasts and sermons, visit rossroadcc.ca.